We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 296 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and he is Emil Evanesian. Emil, the international break is over. Thank goodness. Good times. Yep. Back to back to La Liga. Yeah, it's Valencia in two days, but you know, I, I do want to address right at the top. I, I want to call it the elephant in the room, but it's more like a broken computer in the room. We're doing it old school today. Computer is down. So I'm heading back to the Stone Age to try to piece this one together. So if you're hearing it, I think we did it. <laughs> we accomplished our, our base minimum goal. But apologies if it's not the regular quality. Hopefully we'll back, we're back to that for the next one. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Hopefully we can supply the content that will offset the audio quality. Right, right, right. Of course, of course. So with Valencia two days away, we're actually probably not even going to be previewing that today. You know, we're not even sure which players are going to be fully available for that one. Yeah. So it, it makes that one difficult as well as I think we've done enough Kuman. I think for people uh, yep. now, I think it was like two shows ago that I had, I would want to send you back to Tony who had, I mean, just, you know, he did the Kuman thing this international break. So I sent you two shows back uh, for all that talk. So with the new cycle at its wits end, uh, with the international break coming to a close, it's always that long October international break, but we do have concrete news. And today it's not the announcement. We already knew it was going to happen, but the official announcement for Pedri's renewal is today. Yeah. The, the big number to know, it's the 1 billion euro release clause, which is basically with, uh, I think this goes almost hand in hand with Newcastle United being purchased by basically the Saudi government. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and so numbers like 1 billion are completely necessary in today's market for a player that was nominated for the Ballon d'Or. And not just the fact that he's 18 yeah. or he was also nominated and probably going to win the Golden Boy, but the fact that he was, he's already considered a Ballon d'Or candidate. At, at, well, that's um, the thing, Ballon, Ballon d'Or candidate at 18. And... Right, 19 next month. But yes, at, at right. for his performance yeah. as an 18 year old. Yes. Mm hmm. Well, it always struck me as funny because I remember back the last generation of Real Madrid players. So it was one of the contracts was when they renewed Benzema one time. And then there was, you know, there was Isco and Marco Asensio and, and a bunch of those guys. And this was even it might have either I think it predated the the Neymar sale. But I remember always kind of laughing because they would renew these guys contracts and they'd be like, yeah, we we renewed Isco and his release clause is 900 million euros or something. And I always kind of laughed at that. And then, then the Neymar thing happened. And in my mind, I was thinking, okay, so you don't, you're allowed to sell for below the release clause, but 
why would you even leave the door open a crack? Why not just put a billion on everybody and force people to negotiate with you rather than kind of effectively in eBay terms, putting a buy it now price on, on your players? But so, I mean, this this all kind of makes sense. It's It's a relief that it happened and kind of it seems to have happened, you know, quickly, smoothly. Everything is signed and sealed and in place. So it's great news. Well, yeah. And uh, we'll talk about everyone else in a second, because there's some other news that goes about the fact that Pedri wanted to be at Barcelona, clearly above all the other ones. He wanted mm-hmm. to kind of get this done, wanted to put it in the back, the back mirror as quick as possible. And with this Pedri point, you know, whether it was the 53 games last year, seven, what was it? Or 50, yeah, 52 or 53 for Barcelona officially, 73 mm-hmm. official games yeah. when it came yeah. to the Olympics plus Spain and all that stuff, which is, you know, Barcelona can boast that he's the youngest to do those kind of things, but it's not necessarily a good thing for Pedri this year because of the injuries he's been dealing with. Um, right. Injured again, obviously may not be back for Valencia. You know, and I was noticing the discourse here and Emil, maybe I'm taking this too far, just trusting in the discourse on the internet, which is always the worst thing to do. <laughs> but I feel like the international break was so long this point that people are already getting to a point where they're saying Pedri, and you can actually put his other golden ball nominee teammate in Gabi in this too, that because they don't really have that final ball, they don't really have that. Uh, and I, I would say that if you took Ricky Pooj and gave Ricky Pooj's final ball or attacking third sense to Pedri mm. and Gabi, these would be, you know, already all time midfielders. Yeah, they'd know. be the greatest players in the world. Probably. Yeah, but but Pedri and Gabi at this point don't have that that final third, you know, what, what is required. So I, I feel like there's already a discourse being started about an 18 year old and a 17 year old that they just don't have that thing that Barcelona needs and that we're almost overrating them. They were overrating Pedri. And we're overrating Gabi because they don't have that final, uh, you know, again, because they're already being compared to a young Iniesta, a, a young Xavi, but actually more so than that, a young 17-year-old Arsenal-based Cesc Fabregas even, right? And and that's right. now the level. Or or I saw um, Fabian Wirtz for uh, Bayer Leverkusen, who does mm-hmm. have a finishing product and does score goals and is more of a secondary mm-hmm. striker or, uh, or attacking midfielder, right? Where... Pedri right. and Gabi are actually interiors uh, in a 4-3-3 for Barcelona. And it's true that if Pedri and Gabi have someone on their team like a Messi, because we praise Pedri's combination with Messi last year, if they have a finisher, a guy who just puts the ball in the gosh darn back of the net, then yeah. what they do makes a ton of sense. But if Barcelona needs them to also be creating, I, I mean, that's where you're hearing the fact that Pedri and Gabi are overrated, which again is just, it's absurd to me at this point because they do a job, but I also think they can improve no, on what they can do in the final third. No, it's asinine. I mean, a lot, because, I throw a lot at you there, Emil. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, but just the the broader point is, I mean, the 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 assertion that these guys are overrated is asinine because to be as good as they are and to, I mean, in Pedri's case, to play as much as he's played at the highest level, at the age that he's done it and at the level that he's done it. And Gavi is very much kind of, if he's not already here, he's, He's coming quickly and he's going to be a star in, you know, fairly short order. The fact that these guys aren't on top of everything that they are, the fact that they're not also incisive attackers and, you know, uh, lethal finishers and things like that. I mean, it's, it's frankly ridiculous because even I think of any of the, the Barca midfielders from the last, you know, the, the iconic trio, the, Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets trio. I mean, Iniesta scored two of the most significant goals of 
of the last, you know, of, I guess, of a particular decade, but you wouldn't call him a goal scorer. And what age Xavi, did he score those goals? Is my, my bigger point is what age did he score those goals? Xavi didn't really break in until he was 22 years or 21, 22. Right. And Iniesta didn't break in until he was t- almost 22, 23. To, right. to really be like the regulars in the way that Pedro and Gavi are. And you could say it's, it's based on the timelines and obviously Barcelona in a rebuilding phase, but they were actually in a rebuilding phase when Xavi and Iniesta broke in too. Right. That was during the, yeah, that was in the sort of, I mean, I don't want to say like the, the shambles, but kind of the, that was during the. Well, shambles the, and Gaspar era are actually pretty synonymous at this point, I think in Barcelona history. Right. That was during like the, the Van Hall dip. And right. um, so, I mean, the, uh, the periods in which they debuted are not dramatically different, you know, talking about Xavi and Iniesta and, and Gabi and Pedri, but also, I mean, even if you just look throughout their careers, the things that they did, they did better than anyone in the world. And in some cases, you know, as well as anyone has ever done them. I don't know that I've ever heard a criticism of Javi for not being a sufficiently, you know, dead-eyed attacker. Or, you know, we, we never sit around and say, man, Iniesta was pretty good, but it would be awesome if he had just scored 15 more goals a year or something like that. Or, you know, Sergi Busquets has, you know, relatively speaking for as much as he's played for Barcelona, he has virtually no goals and his value has never lay in directly putting the ball in the back of the net. I mean, and I would say the same for Javi and overwhelmingly like that was the case with Iniesta. So, I mean, the, the fact that now these guys who are doing so much so well at such a young age. I mean, I think it's a little bit of a function of the time that, you know, we talk, whether it's on podcasts and it's on TV and then people just go on the internet and, you know, whether it's Twitter or wherever, and there's sort of never ending discourse. So to kind of make the, to make the point of this guy's really good at that. This is the kind of player that I think he can turn into you know, maybe he doesn't do this, but he's fantastic. People get tired of that. And it's just, I think this kind of never ending loop of discourse, particularly when there's not club games to focus on. Yeah. Because I mean, I think you brought up a good point that the fact that this happened during the international break is, you know, probably makes a little bit of sense because, you know, when Barca are playing, we can focus on the results and we can talk about the games. We can talk about the formations. We can kind of beat the Kuman dead horse or, you know, whatever it is that we need to do. But in the absence of stuff to talk about, I think people revisit these, revisit these topics and revisit these assessments and are constantly kind of mining for new, new takes or new angles, you know, anything to, to differentiate because I don't know that my expectation is, yeah, I mean, it would be wonderful if, one or both of these guys develops into, you know, something of a goal scorer, even not even, not even a deadly finisher, but something of a goal scorer. But I think it's creating goals. Actually, the question it's not even necessarily the, the, like neither of them really have that, that magical final ball. It's not even like, again, the goals aren't, I think the point there, I think it's that where, how important and how significant is Pedri in the attacking third. And he really hasn't carved out that exact, uh, with, with the exception of his partnership with Messi, you know, Pedri has so, not really delivered those final balls. And Gabi doesn't look like the player that he would either. Yet the Gabi pushback, I would say, I mean, I've been watching him now for two, three. I mean, I'm watching since he was 14 years old with the, what was it? He was when he was playing Cadet A, which is the U16s as a 14 year old. Yeah. And he did have that final ball. And he was 
really, really comfortable. And mm-hmm. that's the only pushback here too, that it, you're right. It's difficult. I mean, when you're doing two podcasts a week and there aren't club games and Pedri already feels like an old toy, like, Oh, we know who he is. I mean, he's played enough games where we feel like we've seen him for an entire career, right. he's played 73 games this freaking year. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, if, if those guys, not only to say they improve, but it, it is again, just a snapshot of, yeah, they're probably going to be this kind of player throughout their entire career. But again, Pedri is only still 18 and Gabi is still right. only 17 and Ansu is still only 18 at 18, this point. Yeah. And that, that just, that's so, so young to the point where if you can talk about Ansu losing games and years off the back of his career because his knee injuries now, you also have to be reminded that he started so, so, so young. So I yes. mean, it, as I, I make the same argument with Eric Garcia and Sergino Des too. Those guys are still 20. So yeah. I mean if players do improve, which you're supposed to over the course of a career, if their peak really is 24, 25, 26 years old, then yeah, Barcelona have absolutely hit the lottery six, seven, eight times over with this, this generation that we're talking about. But yeah, I mean, I I think I might be creating a little bit of a straw man when it comes to Pedri and Pedri being overrated. I I think he's, you know, I I think people are are really happy and considering what he is, but because Ansu is returning, because Gabi is the new toy, he kind of gets lost a little bit in the noise. And that's kind of unfair to a player that was, you know, that's finally injured because he got run into the ground. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That's the thing. He's not sort of, he's not injury prone. And this isn't a, this isn't a like for like comparison, but for instance, we can probably agree that Usman Dembele is a fantastically gifted player. He's, he's skilled. He's fast. He's, he's a fantastic player. The fact that the, the way that his injuries have, I was going to say crept up, but I mean, they've just kind of clobbered him at, virtually every turn. I mean, I don't know how many sort of unobstructed, decent, lengthy runs he's had with Barca. And I don't even know what we'd even classify a lengthy run by, you know, by the standard of I mean, his tenure with point, the club. Say 15 weeks. He, I think he had one stretch of 15 weeks or 12 weeks or whatever it was yeah. in, in, in five years, but he yeah, signed at 19, he's 24 now. Yep. Yeah. And so, so that's not what's happening with Pedri. With Pedri, it's this guy put in so much work you know it's there can't even be a frustration that oh we paid all this money for this guy and he's you know he's drawing a huge salary and he's never available or whatever no i mean this guy was young he was called into action and he has answered answered every call and i mean what you also said the the development thing i mean and i think you and i have talked about this 
with regard to these guys and with regard to other players as well, I think it is kind of ridiculous that while on the one hand, people will acknowledge that, yeah, the prime for a, for a peak, you know, the peak for a footballer is, you know, between let's say 23 and 27, maybe, you know, thereabouts. And yet the expectation is that there's somehow a finished product at 18, but not at their peak. And yet we will judge them as though they are already a peak finished product. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, that is, that's kind of nuts. And I mean, I think the, the, the discourse around, around this stuff kind of can be a little bit frustrating. I think you brought up a, you made a really good point though, where it's Pedri is the guy that's been around most as, as far as the Barcelona first team over the last, what, let's say the, I mean, just even the last season, let's say, because Ansu was lost to injury and Gabi wasn't a fixture the way that Pedri was. And there's a strange dynamic where my my thought would be when you have an 18-year-old who's this good and you know this this skilled, this precocious. I feel like we kind of sped through the giddy hype cycle and oh my god, this is awesome. Can you believe this guy is here? This is gonna be so cool. We have him for another, hopefully he's here for a dozen years, kind of thing. I feel like we had that for a week or two, you know, or me, you know, maybe like three or four months or something. Yeah. And then we've kind of left that behind. And, and I understand that there's, I think there's a little bit of a, a yearning among, particularly among Barca fans to almost be like, okay, cool. We got, we've got Pedri. So that's, that's one spot out of the 11 lockdown. And I think everyone wants to restock the cupboard and they want Barca to be back, whatever that, you know, whatever that means. Well, well, and, and, and that's what I mean, that no matter what, I mean, I think everything that Pedri and Gabi and even De Jong do for the first team, let's say, you know, again, if, if, if Kuman were to be, we'll say brave and have De Jong be a pivot and, and then a Pedri and Gabi be the two in front of him. I mean, again, mm-hmm. it's a three that I'm interested in seeing at least a few times throughout the remainder yeah. of this season, regardless of results. And if that midfield three has killers in front of them who are putting the ball in the back of the net, then right. what those three do makes a ton of sense. But again, if they're being asked to do things that their predecessors prior to weren't being even being asked to do, because again, they don't have the likes of peak Lionel Messi in front of them, then that's right. how we're kind of restructuring this in my mind. And I know that thoughtful people are not considering it yeah. this way. But again, Pedri, when I, think, like, I don't want to. I, yeah, I also don't want to take his, his renewal for granted because I, I want to move on to Ansu's renewal. And yeah. yeah, I don't want to take Pedri for, for granted because the Dembele thing has been stringing on for a while. Sergio Roberto is either signing or not signing every hour. It seems to change. Yeah, depending on um, who you ask, when you ask them. Yeah. Right. But the answer one is the one everyone worries about. I mean, even if Barcelona lost Dembele, we'll talk about uh, Raheem Sterling in a second. But I guess there are sure. contingency plans being being written up. But for Ansu Fati, there is no contingency plan. If he returns to 95% or 85% of what he was, there's no replacing him for Barcelona in any way based on him coming up through the academy and finding a talent, a precocious talent like that either. And so the three questions that I give to you, Emil, are, are kind of contradictory to one another. But one, what if Jorge Mendez, who is his agent, he's a super agent, Portuguese, mm-hmm. uh, basically controls Wolverhampton at this point. But what if yeah. Jorge Mendez becomes a problem, as he does for many clubs? Two, was the Trincao deal a sweetener for these negotiations? Speaking of Wolverhampton, uh, and originally mm-hmm. when he was bought from Braga for 31 million uh, euro plus. And then part three would be, is Mendez and the Fati family not concerned with this renewal because they know that he will eventually renewal, but they want to make sure and give it as much time as possible to see how Barcelona can backlog the deal financially. 
Uh, and I think that third one is my, the third one makes me calm about the renewal as in Ansu Fati is going to get paid, but it might be highly backlogged based on the current financial issues of Barcelona. And Jorge yeah. Mendes is going to wait for those things to, to settle. However, Jorge Mendes might also just call Newcastle or, I mean, I'm going to start everything with Newcastle now, but Newcastle, PSG, Man City still, Man United, whoever, and say, hey, uh, you know, may, maybe Ansu Fati is available for you if you have the right number. That last part of what you said, so the the Man Cities, the the PSGs, the, I guess, now Newcastle, and sort of the, the bottomless pockets. I, I suppose, in a sense, those clubs are always going to pose that threat, and they're always going to be the boogeyman, you know, because even, you know, for the right player, there's, it's not likely, but for the right player, some of these owners could literally just say, fine, we'll fork over a billion euros, you know, and just, we want, you know, it would have been, had it been peak Messi at the time and the buyout was a billion, you know, and invariably PSG or Man City or whomever would have said, well, yeah, that, that dude's worth it. (laughs) And, and gotten him. So I suppose that sort of specter always lingers. And to a certain extent, there's very little to be done about it. My belief is that I think your third point is the most, or I think the third scenario is is the likeliest one. Obviously, I think by dragging this out a little bit, Mendez wants to assert as much of his player's leverage as he possibly can and to get him the most obviously to get him the most lucrative contract that he can. I mean, that ultimately that is, that is the man's job. So, you know, we can only be as, as much as it kind of inconveniences us and, and stresses us out, you know, he's doing right by his client in, in that sense. But I, I do think there's a sense of waiting to see what the Barca finances begin to look like and what the financial outlook looks like. And what is the forecast for, you know, three years from now or five years from now and things like that. So, because I think the, the backloaded deal makes, makes sense where, you know, just to pull numbers out of the air, but I mean, to say, you know, if he's willing to play for 2 million a year for two years or three years as the club kind of gets back on its feet, but then it balloons to whatever, 15, 20, 25, whatever, whatever number they find out, but where the average annual value returns to, whatever fair market value would be. I mean, that's very conceivable because I think you and I have talked about how Barca were going to have to get creative to field exciting, dynamic, skilled teams along, you know, kind of simultaneously as they try to clear out this massive financial mess. And so I think arrangements like that, if something like that is on the table, is probably the way that the things like that are, are going to have to get done. Yep, I agree with all that. Uh, let's again hope that that is that is existential dread that for yes. Fati that I don't want to deal with right now. The dread <laughs> of the current results are something that I think is the uh, the the current issue. And we've got enough on our plates with uh, yeah. out with a hamstring injury for two to three weeks. Mm. And you know there are also questions wondering now if he's injury prone in that category. But I actually want to say that other than last year when he did miss twenty one games due to injury for different injuries. He was fully healthy the year before with Barca B and he missed one match the year before with Barca B and sometimes injury history as a youth player or young player. And at that point he was, what was he 19, 20 mm. and, and 21, I think for, well, 21 last year. So he was mm. 19 and 20 for those two Barca B seasons. So usually 
youth team, you know, injury stuff is indicative of a future career, future success for the likes of Dembele. That was not true. And there are exceptions, mm-hmm. obviously, to this rule. But a player like Kevin De Bruyne had always missed. You always expect Kevin De Bruyne to miss eight to 12 to 15 games every year. That's what yeah. happens for Araujo. <laughs> he plays so hard. And so 21 is too high. But, you know, I can see him missing six to seven matches every season mm-hmm. due to injury. But on the on the reverse side of that, the fact that he's so essential to Barcelona is the not good news that you'd hope that, yes, right. this kind of hamstring injury with Uruguay had nothing to do with his role at Barcelona and how reliant they are of him. But yeah, the hope is that with one center back going down and a team with five center backs, that your entire defense doesn't collapse. But Emil, uh, it seems like Barcelona's entire defense might collapse. <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, that's the the really worrying thing. And I know that. Um, yeah, I mean, he's missing El Clasico. He's missing Valencia, Dinamo Kiev, and El Clasico. That's three. Uh, that's basically what I would call two and a half must-win matches. Yes, and you know, I mean, in the case of. Yeah, because outside of Barca, there are, you know, we can kind of say four or five, you know, I'm thinking maybe like five big clubs sort of in Spain or sort of the the matches that you kind of circle that are something approaching kind of uh, showpiece matches. I mean, there's obviously the classic goes up at Atleti, you know, I'd say maybe like Bilbao um, and then it's Valencia, Sevilla and, you know, maybe Betis, stuff like that. And so he's missing, a he's missing an important game. And right now... Every game is important for Barca at you know at this point in the at this point in the season because you know we've talked about this right now we're at a point where the the accumulation of points is paramount just to position themselves well and you know in a weird way I think El Clasico becomes less vital given where Barca is right now as a club and where where the ambitions are of this particular iteration of Barca obviously you want to put in a a good showing in El Clasico, ideally come away with three points, but at the very least, just kind of have a good battling El Clasico. But right now, I feel like that game has to be treated like one of 38 because Barca aren't really challenging for the league as currently comprised and on current form. Right now, it's imperative to play well, accumulate points, and make sure that you're in that top four you know, ideally as soon as possible, but certainly at the end of the season. So I do think that, well, it's really unfortunate that Araujo is going to miss the, you know, these three games in particular. I think the Valencia, yeah, yeah. Now the, the Valencia one in particular is, is kind of annoying because I do think that that is the better shot at three league points, you know, in, in this immediate kind of next couple of weeks. So hopefully his miss isn't, too terribly glaring there, you know, and we've even glossed over the champions league where that very quickly needs to, well, I call it a must win. It had, yeah, it those, to be. Yeah. I mean, it's Absolutely those results have, have to beat them. Yeah. I mean, just a point is irrelevant at this point, unless yep. you're, unless you're confident that you can rip off three wins on the, on the back end of this, which. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Be yeah, right. They can't, if they can't be Dynamo Kia, I mean, Dynamo Kia and get three points. Yeah. Of course they're going to be Bayern Munich. That's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Just, yeah. But so, yeah, I mean, this is really, um, yeah, this puts them in, in a big bind and I don't know how he's replaced in the lineup or I don't know what the sort of the tactical pivots are that will hopefully minimize the, the impact of his loss. But I, I mean, there's three choices. I, I know people say Mangetha, <laughs> but Mangetha has been a right back under Kuman. It's been basically the whole case. I mean, the exception of, 
oddly enough, against Dinamo Kiev when he made his debut, mm-hmm. that being when Gaithan came in for PK. Mm-hmm. But since that time, he's basically been a right back. So mm-hmm. it's a, a combination of the trio of is Lang Lei going to be back in the plans now that he um, might be reportedly, reportedly back into fitness where we didn't even know. We thought he had just lost his place, but apparently he didn't have his fitness and had, was dealing with an injury. So is it PK and Lang Lei? Is it going to, uh, which again, we, we know pretty well. Is it Eric Garcia, who even for Spain in the Nations League, it's the, the, the arguments about Eric Garcia are probably going to continue for two, three years until mm-hmm. he either is out of the club or has uh, taken the, the leap that people are expecting of him. And I, I think, right. you know, so Eric Garcia doesn't matter what he does. I think people have already made their minds on him in, in those camps. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's a combination of those three, PK, Eric Garcia and Lele. And that's, I think, the only thing that the only option here. All right. Moving along. <laughs> With the uh, Ronald Rajo, yeah, just unfortunate. That was a little bit of a Valencia preview that without Ronald Rajo, I'm a little concerned. Yeah. <laughs> but just like Barcelona, I mean, they've got a lot of young players. I'm excited to see the American Yunus uh, Musa as I write them. I also want a, mm-hmm. uh, a little correction from earlier. I called him Fabian Verts. It is Florian Verts. So I was I had Fabian Ruiz oh. on the mind uh, <laughs> because it's another one of those transfer rumors for a free transfer that could happen. So yes, it's Florian Verts. And the reason I say free transfers is because the the big ones it's international break time so that means it's news time it's uh it's, it's garbage news time emil and the two yeah. names on everybody's lips right now are on free transfers it's raheem sterling and paul pogba uh, let's get your thoughts so i mean in a, in a vacuum i really like both of them uh paul pogba for several iterations of fifa on playstation running was one of my first um break the bank acquisitions and uh, so i mean i think he would be i mean in it, I'm I'm curious where he kind of where he fits in the the Barca midfield given the the personnel already on hand but I do think he is when he's when he's at his best when he's kind of fully engaged fully fit and and doing what he does I think he is the kind of player the Barca need and frankly the kind of player that they don't have a lot of right now where it's you know obviously just he's physically imposing very physically strong but he's just, um, I mean, I guess the, the best way to put it is just he understands the game well, but he also understands his role within the game and he's supremely confident within his role in the game. And he's the kind of guy that in the right situation looks to force the issue, take over a game and can kind of do a wide enough variety of things and kind of force the force the opposition into sufficiently uncomfortable positions where, you know, your team is forcing mistakes or your team is bearing down. So in that sense, I mean, I, I've, I've always enjoyed Paul Pogba a lot. The, the United years have been a very strange kind of uh, odyssey for him, but he's fantastic. And in a sense, I mean, I think Raheem Sterling on a different Barca, I mean, I think with, and not that I have any issues, it's, it's nothing to do with kind of personality maturity or things like that, but I think the way that he, imposes himself on a game requires authoritative midfielders or kind of uh, sort of a commanding presence to get him the ball. The, the likes of which I don't know that. I mean, I think, I think Sterling might be better on a, I don't want to give him a backhand a compliment, but I think he's, I think Sterling is elite on a star studded team. I don't know that if the lion's share of, responsibility for the attack is on his shoulders. I don't know if that's ideal for him. And, yeah. you know, even when it comes to creating the chances and things like that, um, I think he's really good at 
getting into particular positions, but I don't know that this current iteration of Barca, I mean, it, it kind of goes to a little bit of what we talked about. I mean, if, you know, the likes of Pedri and Gabi can sort of link up with him and, and if there is um, sort of a strong mind meld from, from the start, I could see that being a fantastic combination, but um, I mean, in a vacuum, he's a fantastic player. And um, I mean, I think Pogba would maybe, I think he would spur the team on immediately more uh, but I do think Raheem Sterling sort of on the next truly on the upswing Barca team, you know, in a, in a couple of years, ideally, if that's when that is, I think he would have a, you know, kind of a fantastic place on, on a team like that. Well, yeah, I think the question I asked for both of these is what is the, where, not even because again, free transfers, that's why these, these names are there. That's why they're out there. Yeah. But what is the point of their wages? Why, what, what players are those wages going to or, or not going to? Yeah. And I think immediately I, I say that if there's one of the two were to arrive, I would um, much not even rather, but I would expect it to be Sterling as Dembele insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I do question is uh, I, I question again, I keep seeing that there are close ties between city and Barca, but it was basically city. who took a bunch of stuff from Barca board members, directors like Ferran Soriano, and <laughs> the architect of what city has built Pep Guardiola mm-hmm. via Bayern Munich. Quite a few La Masia kids, including Eric Garcia and Adrian yep. Bernabe. And then in return, Barca, go, Barca have gotten what? Eric Garcia and Sergio Eric Garcia. on free transfers. And, you yeah. know, and oh, City didn't give 100 million euros to buy Messi. They also let him go to PSG. So really had Barca's back on that one. Yeah, so thanks for that, guys. Yeah. Right, right. Instead of giving 100 million euros the, the year before when Messi potentially was going to leave. Yeah, so I, I think the, the close tie between City and, and Barca, and even the fact that City had purchase Girona right in Barcelona's backyard in Catalonia. So that basically cut ties with whatever working relationship that Barcelona would have with their, their Catalan uh, neighbor, they're not even neighbors, but, but yeah, in Catalonia in the same region. So that, you know, geographic region. So now city has uh, basically set up their, their, again, one of their, their feeder clubs right in Barcelona's backyard, but okay. Anyway, back to Sterling, if he's about one free, so it doesn't matter if he's city affiliate or not, he gets to come for free, gets to choose wherever he plays. And, you know, the reason this story also matters is because I think it's being drawn a bit by the English press that for the English national team this summer, he was really, really good um, all the mm-hmm. way, you know, through to the Euro 2020 as, as far as England could go, you know, only to lose to Italy, who wound up winning the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But then this season, he only has two Premier League games under Pep Guardiola. And that's the big mm-hmm. thing where Pep's out on him. But very much like Eric Garcia, it seems like it's, it's contract affiliated. Yeah. But he was already made available last transfer window. And he has spoken about in, you know, his desire to potentially uh, learn Spanish or learn French. Mm-hmm. And he is, he is, you know, sprinkling those things in, in for a player that is certainly going to be going to be leaving, but he's still 26. So he knows that if he's going to make a move, it's going to have to be soon. And mm-hmm. after a season last year, when he was 14 goals, 12 assists. So unlike Pedri and Gavi, when we don't, we're not looking at the numbers, Raheem Sterling, you're looking directly at the, even the goals and the assists and their production. Yep. So 14 and 12 last year. 31 and 10 the year before when he was 24 years old and then 25 and 18 the year before that. And those are numbers that are good enough even two years ago that Mm -hmm. even though again, last year didn't go that way. And then this year, if he's not leaving until the end of the season on that free, then, you know, how many goals, what is he going to go six and two or right. And, or seven and and four, who knows what he'll do this year. But those numbers two years ago are good enough to say, I mean, if he is insurance for Dembele, both as injury and also contract-wise, because Dembele could leave yeah. one, 
But but again, they would basically be swapped out for another one for another. Dembele leaving on a free, Sterling coming on a free. I think that would be the timeline. But yeah, Dembele also you want insurance for his injuries, and with the way the yeah. team is currently constructed, I wouldn't say no to another attacker in Sterling. Now, do you want to respond to that, and then I'll do the, the Pogba thing because I'm, I'm a little yeah, less so, out on Pogba as I said. Yeah, so I mean, I do think the um, as far as the stats go, um, yeah. So last year was a little, last year was a bit of a down year by by his own standards, admittedly for for Sterling. But like you said, over the summer he was he was fantastic, you know, for England. So I don't think the, the form is a problem this season. I feel like is going to be in the context of his career. I feel like we're going to look at this season as something of a lost season. Like you said, he's, he's played twice, you know, Pep's only put him in twice this year. And I think the, I get the sense that the writing is on the wall now with him, that he is on the way out. And I mean, city are, sufficiently well-staffed where they don't have to put anyone out there that they don't necessarily want to put out there. And if, if Pep is kind of out on him and Sterling isn't going to be in the club's long-term plans, I could see him not seeing the pitch a lot this year. And I don't think that's necessarily going to reflect poorly on him. If anything, he'll, you know, it'll allow him to, he'll be well-rested and healthy. You know, you would hope that, you know, at the very least it's, it's almost kind of a, in a weird way, it's kind of a gap year, but yeah, I mean, what you said to swap out Dembele for Sterling would be fantastic. And I do think that he does bring a dynamism that, I mean, to your point that Dembele, I think was supposed to bring this speedy attacker, you know, on the outside that just, just going to torments uh, opposing wingers. And so I would actually be perfectly fine with, bringing him in particularly because you know we we do talk about Dembele but there's I don't know what there is to kind of say at this point I I think we're just kind of playing out the string with him do you have we don't even have expectations for Dembele at at this point so I do think that that kind of a swap would be I mean we don't but we do because like I keep saying that I mean and and Kuman I mean for as much people are frustrated by him, he keeps saying that when Aguero and Demelay, who are two huge important parts of that attack, come back, you know, we're putting a lot of faith in the the wing play of Dembele. That Barzai have had yeah. nothing on the wings this season so far. And, you know, to really get that attack to get to the next level they need to get to to win games, you need mm-hmm. Dembele to be on the field. And so we actually put a huge onus on him in the way that this team is currently constructed. That's why I say that Sterling makes sense on a free as Dembele insurance. And that then the, for the Pogba, it's almost yeah. the opposite where I ask who is Pogba insurance for? I think the, the equation there is a little more complicated. It's that if you mm-hmm. think, you know, his job for Barca would not be to score goals. It wouldn't even be to mm-hmm. be a, ta- a tough tackling box to box midfielder. That's never been what he is, mm-hmm. but his mm-hmm. job would be to create goals from the midfield. And yes. if you think that his final ball is that essential and, and that important for Barcelona, where it was either De Jong or Pedri or Gabi or, you know, one of those midfielders is, or, I mean, it would basically say that Nico's time at Barca is probably over. So if, mm-hmm. if you don't think that any of those midfielders can do something of that job someday, mm-hmm. then he would have to be, I mean, even if you, at this point, I think with Pedri and Gabi, you wouldn't call him a bridge, right? You wouldn't say that Pogba is going to be a bridge until those, those players are ready. Those players are kind of ready in you right. know, the current iteration of Barca now. So the, 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 I think the, again, the equation is, is his final ball going to be that essential to Barcelona that he is worth? I know he's on a free, but is he worth paying the agent fees for Mino Rayola, who we know has the mm. highest agent fees in the entire world? 
And yeah. I think what he's going to expect in, in wages and what he's going to expect in playing time and marketing yeah. and basically all of the off field and all of the additional costs, his signing bonus is going to be very high. So if, if all of those upfront costs are worth his final ball, then, then that's the calculus. And the other players in the midfield are going to have to get used to the idea that, you know, he has to be that bridge. And so if he's exactly what Barcelona in theory think he is capable of, then that's the calculus. I think what frustrates me and hurts me about this one, the Pogba one, mm-hmm. is the state that it's a reminder that Barcelona are in the state they're in. That's why free tranches of Sterling and Pogba are being discussed and why Barcelona almost forced to pay those those signing on bonuses or whatever it is. Yeah. Like they have to get those costs around the edges because all they can handle is a free transfer. And so, you know, the fact that Pogba is just like Sterling, one foot already out the door at United makes you say, well, why are they already one foot out the door at those clubs? Why aren't they completely valuable to their clubs at this stance? And the fact that United are already reportedly lining up to a many from Monaco, which is frustrating mm-hmm. to me because I, you know, Twitter is going to give, and I, you know, Kevin, a friend of the pod, a friend of mine, mm-hmm. Kevin Williams, he is going to be credited on Twitter because he has been touting the, the, the two a many bandwagon really hard this year he's been beating the drum before too many even debuted for the french mm-hmm. national team which where he's now obviously a regular but i mm-hmm. do have on record two years ago i had a transfers that i would look at what before he was even playing for monaco back when he was playing for bordeaux i had i had said that he is a really good box box midfielder he's got something special when he was 18 already starting for bordeaux mm-hmm. you know and i had already i was already kind of yeah i, I mean i'm tapping my, i uh what is it clapping myself on the back for a second emil because in those moments i i do do my oh, do it because so i've been talking about him for two years so to miss out on him but knowing that united who i think are still a step down from barcelona mm-hmm. you know with all their expectations and what they are in world football right now they are a giant that is yet to recover even though the place that barca is even though barca is in financial ruin and united is not so the fact that barcelona get man united want to or the player that man united doesn't want is the player that Barca doesn't get. And the player that I would love to see Barca get is the one that Man United is going to be able to line up because they can financially afford him. That's the part of all of this that I think hurts the most. Because why am I talking about Pogba when I think too many? I would take him 10 out of 10 or 15 out of 15 times over, over Pogba. No, I, and, you know, that that is an entirely fair point. And I think it's one that you're absolutely right to make. We call it transfer talk, but, I mean, I guess they're, they're free transfers. But... Um, yeah, the the transfer talk that we're engaging in for the for the time being is yeah, what's what's available? You know, kind of just taking the stuff that's not tied down at other clubs, and uh, yeah, it stinks. <laughs> but yeah, and I I don't know that, and I I don't want to do any Kuman stuff, but you know, I think the ultimately it's going to come down to what Kuman's plan is in the midfield and who are the people that he actually wants to, wants to lean on and, you know, is what is his rotation or what is his kind of pattern? Well, and, yeah, but if they come on freeze next summer, why does Kuman have a say in that? And I well, said it very tongue in cheek, but what, right. what does it care? What, what does it matter? What free transfers that he wants? So the problem then comes, I guess, which manager are you giving these players to? And then, because I mean, you and I have also talked about the, the fraught financial situation when it comes to, getting rid of managers as well. And, you know, the more I've thought about it, I've, I've realized that that dynamic might prolong the Kuman era at Barca a little bit artificially, simply because we've already got this guy here. We've got him under contract and, you know, we, we don't want to double pay again. You know, we don't want to pay yet another guy to not coach us. So now whether it is Kuman or 
But then it also comes down to who are you going to bring in? Who is the manager that's going to come in? What is, are we just doing the thing again where we're accumulating notionally talented and very good players without a coherent plan as to what these guys are going to do together? Well, well yeah, but that's why I wonder, like, that's why yeah. Sterling for me makes much yeah. more sense because yeah. if Barcelona is going to play a 4-3-3, he is a traditional 4-3-3 Barcelona winger. He can be yeah. a bit of an inverted winger yeah. and then... Pogba, I ask in Barcelona's 4-3-3, where does he fit? Where you yeah, almost I mean, need the system to, to revolve around Pogba in a way that I would much rather have the system revolve around even De Jong at this point. I would take De Jong over Pogba. And as far as, you know, how you set your midfield up. Yes, I, and I do. I, I think I would too. And I mean, I, I'm now mentally as I'm thinking it through, I'm kind of walking back a little bit. the Because in an ideal scenario, if it was someone... Because like you said, the when you spoke about the, the wages that are going to be commanded and the probably the, the playing time demands that are going to be put in should should Pogba want to come, you it doesn't leave a lot of flexibility for for a manager to experiment with midfields that don't involve Pogba. So I mean I do think to your point, I think if you're bringing Pogba in, you're bringing Pogba in as a I don't want to say a guaranteed starter, but a probably pretty close to a guaranteed starter or a, he's not a rotation player. He's not a squad player. And so, yeah, I mean, I think the, I want to see this midfield that Barca has healthy and actually playing. And it even goes back to how we started the conversation today with uh, Gabi and Pedri, where, you know, we, we say that we don't know these guys first go arounds with the club were colored a little bit by feeding the ball to Messi and things like that. But I mean, that's a massive adjustment. So when you come up and your senior team experience hinges so much on, well, we've got Messi, I get to feed Messi and this guy does these things to then very quickly and all of a sudden not have that. And so you have to find your sea legs again when there's not that sort of cheat code kind of player and that sort of know everything. And I don't mean that in kind of a a negative pejorative know-it-all way, but sort of the guy that literally knows everything, sees everything and physically is capable of doing just about everything. You know, I mean, these guys are now having to grow up again into first team players in a different scenario because Messi's Barca versus post Messi Barca is an entirely, you know, they're entirely different creatures. Well, yeah, I want to bookend all the men's talk about Pedri. With uh, mm-hmm. I'm reminded that at Las Palmas, where he played a little bit more on the wing than he does in the interior, he actually kind of mm-hmm. changed his position at Barcelona, and he was actually much more creative in the second division of Spain mm-hmm. while playing as a 17 year or 16 year old uh, into 17 year old for Las Palmas. So, yeah, I mean, Pedri, I think even more so than Gabi, Pedri's the big question mark even when it comes to a player like Pogba. And yeah, where you see that mm. midfield in the future. So yeah, I think that book ends with Pedri, the men's talk, and we're going to finish the show up real quick here. You know, I had said it's, again, very ironic that on the earlier show this week with Jamie Coles, who had, you know, we talked about Barca Femini, probably the longest we had this mm. season, because again, all they generally do is win. We don't really cover that from, from, <laughs> from day to day because they cover, they destroy teams by three goals, five goals, six goals, eight goals, nine goals. Yeah. But Kog, or Koj, and apologies, I'm trying my best. I, I even practiced it beforehand, so uh, apologies to all of our Danish listeners. But uh, the Femini in the Women's Champions League, it was just a 2 nothing win. And I say just a 2 nothing win because the second goal came on a penalty and stoppage time from Jenny Hermoso. Aitana yeah. Badmati and Patri did not start that match. They had to come in at mm-hmm. halftime. 
Engen, who's one of the new signings, wasn't doing enough to break down a very compact hog side. They, I mean, mm-hmm. closed side, they just, just everybody behind the ball, defend for their lives, everything they can. Finally, Rolfo, one of the other new signings, broke through via Alecky yeah. Martin's cross in the 62nd minute. A reminder, too, that Rolfo, very versatile. Usually she plays on the wing, but she was basically playing as a you know kind of false nine with Jenny mm-hmm. and the young Bruna Villamala, who's also kind of a, a striker or secondary striker. striker. Those mm-hmm. two actually started in behind uh, as these two interior attacking midfielders were really they're actually forwards in Barcelona's mm-hmm. best 11. So a lot of experimentation. They were trying a lot of different things, and there were attackers in the midfield because it was an expectation that that their opponent was going to really, really make it compact. And they did mm-hmm. just that. So the Femini, 82% possession, 31 to six on shots, but only seven to two with shots on target. They just were yeah. not hitting. And there are those days when you, you can't hit, you know, what is it? You can't hit water if you fell out of a boat. Like the, That's kind of what it yeah. looked like a bit with the Femini that day. But I think the biggest talking point for me is that, you know, as good as everyone is, all the world-class players, all the Ballon d'Or nominees, all of the, you know, all the UEFA women's league candidates from last year. And I also mentioned too, that Irene Paredes did not start this match. And Mappy mm-hmm. Leon was really, really good uh, in this game. That being, uh, and Graham Hansen was even, she was trying things, but it just wasn't coming off. The one player missing, you notice I did not mention Barcelona's talisman, their captain, Alexi Guteas. If anything, you watch that match and that increases her Ballon d'Or chances. Because I was actually for, just going to say that. Yeah, for <laughs> as dominant as the feminine are, when they're missing Alexi Buteas, they're just not the same team. She is, I mean, she's arguably their, uh, I mean, other than Jenny, she is their most dangerous goal-scoring threat uh, on, uh, with the likes of Aswala, who also came off the bench mm-hmm. and, and was really good in that game. So Alexi is such a dynamic goal-scoring presence, but more importantly, she just is so dangerous to create so much. She controls the game and yeah. dictates exactly how that game happened. It's her and Aitana. They are what make Barcelona tick. And when that first half without those two, you could clearly see that they were missing, even though they have all these world-class teammates next to them, yep. just the, what they create and what they do their d- dynamic is the word that keeps popping into my head. And I want to keep yeah. saying it. Their, their dynamism is just a, a step apart from every other midfield duo in the entire world. And add Patrick to that too, who came in at halftime that her yep. ability is a pivot. She's arguably the best pivot in women's football right now. Um, I think she's definitely in the conversation at least, even mm-hmm. if she's not number one, she's in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it shows you that if a, if a Barcelona side, men, female, I, or I don't care, if, if they are playing a 4-3-3 in this Barcelona style, your midfield trio are your three um, most essential players. Not important or not influential, because again, they're not yeah. necessarily scoring the goals, but they're... They're the way if Barcelona is going to succeed, their midfield trio is going to be what pushes you beyond everyone else. And with, yeah, with um, those three not starting, you see it was a big, big difference. Oh, exactly. And uh, yeah, to your point, the, the essential, I do think it's, yeah, because it's, that's the part you must have for, for that to work, like the, the Barca system to work. And yeah, in the case of, and God, now I think I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher the the Danish club's name, but um, you know they they did pack the box and they for an hour they did what they were setting out to do. Uh, here, you guys take the ball and we're going to do everything in our power to frustrate you. Uh, yeah, they caught a break that the Barca midfield that really creates you know that really just opens up defenses and just creates that thrust wasn't in place because I. I do think that it would have been a different game in 
different circumstances or just, you know, with a different, uh, different lineup setup. I think there was a little bit of an assumption that just the, the deluge of talent would be enough to, you know, to even just clip a goal or two in the first half. And then, you know, they have to come out and start trying to attack. And then you're kind of off to the races at that point. But, you know, I mean, I do think that, well, there was another thing that I saw too, that the, and I don't know how much this actually matters because on the one hand, you know, prime athletes are prime athletes and they are uniquely gifted at what they do. But on the other hand, you know, professional athletes and athletes at this high a level are so much on muscle memory and, you know, creatures of habit. They were playing on a synthetic pitch that is yeah. different from. And Jenny what... and Layla were just coming back from injury too. So Jenny yeah. also is not match fit and playing on a synthetic pitch. And, you yeah. know, it's one of those other frustrating things where we always talk about again, women's football and that disparity that imagine the news. If, yeah, just just imagine what if what would happen if a men's team was playing on synthetic pitch. It's always a question I ask. Right. Yeah. So, and I think so. There was there was probably a little bit of that that this is just what not what you're used to playing on. So, I'm sure they have played on synthetic pitches before, but it's not you know in this context, it's not what you what you're used to. So, I think there's a little bit of adjustment just from a purely physical and probably even a little bit mental. Just how is the ball going to move? What do I have to do? you know, all, all of those things. And the other side was set up to not allow you to score. I mean, they they had minimal interest in the other half of the pitch. You know, it was give Barca the ball and just hold on for dear life. And, you know, it worked for an hour. In the end, I, I suppose we can just call this a an experimental slash business-like win. And yeah, I mean, it wasn't fun. But it was interesting. And, you know, yeah. as, 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 as frustrating as those kind of games can be when other teams like I mean, I don't want to see interesting in the semifinal Champions League or the final no. Champions League. I just want them to go out and dominate them and win. And right. only when they play El Clasico or when they play Atletico Madrid, those kind of games, totally. I don't want fun. I want six nothing. I want five nothing. Yeah. But, you know, this gave us something to talk about, which it's crazy. Yeah. The feminine is so good that I can use a two nothing win. And so, or really what was a one, nothing win plus a stop aside yeah. penalty where I can go, okay, at least we have something to talk about. So yeah, it's like it feels like they, to, to what we just saw. No, it feels like they dodged a bullet. <laughs> um, yeah. And but it well, also, the, they already t- took care of Arsenal. So again, the big picture was this probably didn't truly affect anything because they're going to get through the group stage anyway. So the oh, stakes, okay. if anything, were so low in this match in particular, mm. where, you know, you go, okay. I mean, even if they lose, even if they had lost that match, right? Even if that scoreline right. was different to nothing, I would just immediately retort with, well, you didn't start with any of your four, your, your regular yeah. midfield three trio. Jenny was just coming back from injury. You're on a synthetic, right? We get to use all those things if this oh, exactly. had even been thrown the other way. So, all right. I think the- that'll wrap it up for this edition of the show. We want to thank you so much for joining another episode of the Barcelona podcast in the, the condition that was in. But if you're here <laughs> at the end, we know that you're, uh, you're ride or die with us. So Twitter and Instagram at the Barcelona pod, close Facebook group, the Barcelona podcast, same thing as YouTube. And you can also find it on Patreon. We can listen to these shows for, for again, a little incentive to support the show financially, but you can listen to these shows without the app. So, most importantly, though, thanks for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza Barca.